0: If you'd turn with me to 1 Samuel 17, I'm going to begin reading at verse 55 and on into chapter 18. When Saul saw David going out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, As your soul lives, O king, I do not know. So the king said, Inquire whose son this young man is. Then as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, "'Whose son are you, young man?' So David answered, "'I am the son of your servant Jesse the Bethlehemite.' And when he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul." Saul took him that day and would not let him go to his father's house any more. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, even to his sword and his bow and his belt. So David went out wherever Saul sent him and behaved wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants." Now it had happened, as they were coming home, when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistine, that the women had come out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing, to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy, and with musical instruments. So the women sang as they danced, and said, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. Then Saul was very angry, and the saying displeased him, and he said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed only thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? So Saul eyed David from that day forward. Father, we thank you for this, your word, and I pray that as we look into it, that our hearts would learn to worship you and live by every word that proceeds out of your mouth. We commit this time to you, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, in the passage that we just read, we see two success stories. Uh, The first success story is the continuing success of uh, King uh, Saul, and it really was an amazing success story because you'll remember back in chapter 8, he was a nobody. Uh, Nobody really knew him. He came from a small clan, and uh, he didn't even consider himself to be worthy of kingship. He uh, came into national highlight in chapter 9, and he uh, got celebrity or hero status in chapter 11. And from that time on, it just seemed like he couldn't lose a battle. He just won battle after battle after battle in the following years. And he reminds me of Michael Phelps, uh, a guy who has won more swimming competitions than just about anybody else. He's won 16 Olympic medals. And when you look at all of the international competitions that he's entered, he's won 59 medals, including 50 gold, 7 silver, and 2 bronze. And yet, like Saul, Phelps has had some character issues. He's had a hard time shaking, you know, the story that where they got a picture of him uh, smoking marijuana and some of his partying life. And so Saul is the first person who still appears to be a pretty successful fellow, even though he's got some moral failings. The second success story is obviously David. He was another totally unknown figure who's instantly catapulted into celebrity status in this nation. And uh, through the remaining uh, uh, verses of chapter 18, David is going to continue to be a celebrity that's um, really admired by the whole nation. But once we get into chapter 19, he's going to kind of go off of the scene and off of the radar of most of... Uh, the nation of Israel. And he reminds me of Elaine Breeden, another American swimmer who's actually made some phenomenal time records, has won some medals. She didn't win any Olympic medals. And actually that's not entirely true because she did win a, a a silver in the preliminaries on uh, the medley relay team. But her testimony was she wanted to win with God more than she wants to win with man. Uh, during an interview Now, when everybody was having high hopes for her at the Olympics, she said, my faith has grown so much through my involvement in swimming. God is continually teaching me to rely on him for everything and proving that if I put his kingdom first, everything else will fall into place. My goal in swimming is to use the gift he has given me to build relationships and minister to teammates. So two different kinds of success story. And when the scripture portrays Saul as being a political success and a moral failure. He's not implying that uh, Saul could not have repented and gone back to the gospel of Jesus Christ. He certainly could have done so. Uh, Let me tell you a, a little story that I ran across about Michael Phelps. Now, I don't watch swimming competitions, have zero interest in in that. uh, But the reason I looked up his story this past week is I remembered a story uh, that was run in USA Today back in 2006 where everybody was puzzling how poorly he was doing after the Athens uh, Olympics. He had done phenomenally well at the Olympics, and then he was not doing uh, uh, very well after that. You'd think he would have been in his top form, his best form. And his coach, Bob Bowman, used two phrases to describe what uh, was going on. And those two phrases have stuck with me. He said, at Worlds, he wasn't in the kind of shape he wanted to be. It takes a long time to deal with the aftermath of success like that. And at the time I read that, I thought, well, that's a curious expression, the aftermath of success. Usually aftermath you associate with hurricanes and tornadoes and other disasters. Uh, but here is a guy who has uh, won a number of medals, and the uh, the coach says it takes a long time to deal with the aftermath of success like that. Well, apparently, that's quite true in the area of sports and business success. There's an, uh, quite a number of areas where that is true. You can be on top and start going downhill very, very quickly because of your responses to your fame. It could be because of pride that's rising in your heart or you're letting uh, some, you know, cutting yourself some slack in terms of your uh, preparations or you're focusing too much on the past and not enough on the future. A lot of times people become careless after a success. Uh, Several research articles have shown that extramarital affairs frequently occur after phenomenal success in the area of sports or business or uh, a number of other areas that they were uh, looking at. In fact, commentaries point out that's exactly what happened to David much later in his life in the Bathsheba affair. He was at the pinnacle of success uh, in his life. But, and this is a big but, it is not a foregone conclusion that that has to happen. In the passage that we're going to be looking at, we're going to be seeing various reactions to David's success, and it could very easily have arisen pride or bitterness or uh, looking too much at the past or other inappropriate responses, and it didn't happen. Uh, David guarded himself, and I want to look at the ways in which uh, he guarded his heart. He is a model for handling the aftermath of success in a godly way. Now, the second phrase that Coach Bowman used in his interview was, we're getting back to the basics. He said, now we're consistently progressing to the level of training he did prior to Athens. We're getting back to the basics. And getting back to the basics is what enabled David to win medal after medal, as it were, in the coming uh, years and in the coming chapters. And uh, if you have to leave... uh, Uh, the church in about five minutes or so let me summarize for you the entire sermon (laughs) you need the same grace after a success as you needed before that success we need the same striving toward the upwards goal of, uh, of God that he's given to us in Christ Jesus. You need the same burying yourself in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. You need the same memorization of Scripture, meditation upon Scripture. You need the same fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Uh, you need to cling to the same things you used to cling to when you're desperate and saying, Lord, I can't do it. I need your help. You need that same clinging to all of the basics of Christianity after success as you did beforehand. Too frequently, Christians let their guard down after success. They think they can make it on their own. And what we're going to be seeing in upcoming chapters of First Samuel is that David constantly recognized his need for the basics of the gospel. So we're going to take a look at the aftermath Of uh, success in David's life. There's five reactions to what David did, and I think these are very typical reactions that you'll find uh, down through history. The first reaction that you'll find is that sometimes false friends will start to cling to you, and they will be friends because they want to use you. Uh, Athletes frequently find this to be true. Take a look at chapter 17 and verses 55 through 58. When Saul saw David going out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? Abner said, as your soul lives, O king, I do not know. Now, that ought to seem extremely strange to you because David's been living at the palace for quite some time. He's been playing the harp uh, for, for David. In fact, I want you to flip back to chapter 16 just to be reminded a little bit of the context there. Saul really ought to know the background of David. In verse 14 of chapter 16, Saul is plagued by an evil spirit And then in verse 18, uh, his advisors tell him, Hey, we know a guy, uh, uh, David, a son of Jesse, who's excellent on the harp, and he's just the key to dealing with all of the problems you're having with uh, this demonic uh, spirit. In fact, uh, let's go ahead and read verse 18. Then one of the servants answered and said, Look, I've seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite. Okay, so he's clearly been told who the father of David is who was skillful in playing, a mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a handsome person, and the Lord is with him. So in verse 19, Saul sends to Jesse, he says, hey, can you spare your son? We'd like to have him over at the palace. Verse 21, so David came to Saul and stood before him, and he loved him greatly, and he became his armor bearer. So David's in pretty close relationship with Saul here. In verse 23, David regularly plays music. Then in chapter 17, verse 15, if you look at chapter 17, verse 15, it says that David occasionally returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep, now that verse means you can't invert these chapters like some liberals have tried to do. That verse indicates that this whole story is being given in the sequence in which it really occurs, and that's puzzled some people. How could that be? Saul surely would have known uh, who the the father of, of David is. And so let's continue reading in chapter 17 and uh, verse 56. So the king said, inquire whose son this young man is. So he's forgotten at this point. Verse 57, then as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, whose son are you, young man? So David answered, I am the son of your servant, Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Now, there's two two facts that are quite clear from this passage. The first fact is that Saul needed to find out the background uh, because he's quite publicly made a statement that whoever defeats Goliath, he's going to give his whole family tax exemption. So he needs to find out whose name do I put on this decree. And because he's promised to give his daughter in marriage to the champion, he's got to find out, okay, what family is my daughter going to be uh, marrying into? But the second fact that is quite clear is that neither Saul nor Abner remember much of anything about David's background. We don't know how many months that David has been uh, at the... At the palace, but obviously Saul has not been asking much of anything about David's background, David's interests. He's maybe commanded him to do this, you go do that, and the other thing, and he knows David in terms of uh, of what he does, and he loves David for what David can do for him. But enough time has lapsed that Saul and, and Abner have forgotten completely about his background. Now anybody can forget a person's name. I forget my own kids' names sometimes. Uh, But this goes way beyond that. This is a situation where it's clear that Saul has really not shown any interest in what David is interested in. Uh, He's not shown any interest in asking questions about him. It's all about Saul. And uh, uh, he was just another tool to be used in Saul's court. And when you get to chapter 18 and uh, verse 2, Saul doesn't even ask permission of Jesse anymore. He just makes a demand. It says, Saul took him that day and would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. It doesn't matter that Jesse is an aged man and he needs David's help. It doesn't matter that David wants to go back home. Nope, he's not going to let him do that. Now Saul is going to be his friend, at least for a while. He's going to be his friend, but he is a friend of David only so long as David becomes useful to him. Have any of you had friends like that? (laughs) I think we've all experienced that at some point or another. Perhaps you've got a promotion at job and now you're in a key position where you could be the ticket to somebody else's promotion and to somebody else's success and all of a sudden everybody loves you. Just like Saul loved David. They come around and they're glad-handing you and uh, wanting to be your friend. Or uh, perhaps you've gotten on a powerful um, position in the county, some some position and all of a sudden all of the politicians want to be your friend and they're coming around and and they really like you or perhaps you've got uh, computer expertise or some kind of other expertise and all of a sudden everybody's your friend and uh, yeah come on over to my house and by the way I need you to fix something for me I think we've all had that happen to us and we need to ask how do we relate to that how do we handle that I think David is a good example of how to handle that First of all, you accept your new status and position as an act of God's providence, but you don't let it get to your head. You faithfully serve your friends, but you don't put your trust in man. You remain faithful even when your friends are not faithful. You know, David really did remain faithful to Saul, even though Saul had burned him a number of times, and he did not get bitter over it. Uh, soul's user attitude never rubbed off on David. Uh, it can very easily happen when you're hanging around users all the time that you begin to develop the same attitudes. Trust God, even when your friends are trusting you to come through for them. You know they're 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 saying, "Oh yeah, you can do it. Uh, I think you're you're the, the the perfect person for this position." And when other people are trusting you to come through, you can begin to trust you to come through as well instead of trusting the Lord God. And David never did that. All the way through, he recognized, if I have any pride, I can come down. Now, remember we said Psalm 144 was written right around this time. And David, I believe, keeps repeating this psalm to himself so that he does not fall. Uh, for example, in verses 1 and 2, He says, it's God who trained my hands for battle. God is the only one who is my security. He's the only one that could have enabled this to happen. Then in verses 3 through 4, he says, Lord, what is man that you take knowledge of him? Or the son of man that you are mindful of him? Man is like a breath and his days are like a passing shadow. He's giving himself perspective. He's saying, these guys are treating me like a superhero, but I know I'm just like a breath. I'm going to be gone just like every other man is going to be gone off the face of the map. I am no hero. I am simply a servant of Almighty God. And so he reminds himself, without God, he can do nothing. But he reminds himself, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so that psalm was giving him perspective. Now Saul thinks, David is serving me. But David is telling himself, you know, ultimately, I'm serving God by serving Saul. And so I think that was one of the things that made him be such an asset for the kingdom. Now, I would encourage you, just think a little bit further on your own applications of this thing of false friends. Uh, If you've had, if you've been burned by false friends, ask yourself, Lord, how is it you want me to? to relate to these false friends. Some people will just get bitter and say, I just don't want to have anything to do uh, with those people. But I think there's a lot more that the Lord uh, wants sovereignly to bring into our lives so that we will grow in him. So just do a little bit of thinking on your own in terms of further application. A second part of the immediate aftermath of David's success is that he found true friends who would stick by him. So there were false friends and there were true friends, and the first true friend was obviously Jonathan. And so let's read in chapter 18, verses 1, 3, and 4. Now, when he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Now, the phrase, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, shows that he was a kindred spirit. And the phrase Jonathan loved him as his own soul shows he was totally committed to David. Okay, he was to be a lifelong friend. And what is even more remarkable about this friendship is that Jonathan was 46 years old and David was only 18. So there's a huge disparity in their age and yet they were very close friends. And Jonathan's friendship was totally different than his dad's. He was not using David at all. Take a look at verses 3 and 4. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, even to his sword and his bow and his belt. Commentators point out that uh, back in terms of ancient customs, when Jonathan took off his robe, his armor, his sword, he gave it all to David. What he was in effect saying is, I'm transferring my right to the throne to you. Uh, it's just a remarkable thing that he was saying. Now, we don't know if God had revealed this to Jonathan or not, but he clearly was not using David. He was saying, look, you are far more qualified than the throne than I am. And actually, there seems to be something else that was going on here because Saul treats David as an adopted son. Later on, he speaks of David as my son. And so there, there's something else that's going on uh, in, in this. But uh, David... Uh, He loves David not for his own advancement. He loves David as a friend. He's looking out for David's best interests, not his own. Now, here's a question you can ask yourself. Do I have any friends that I love in that way? Am I really a friend to somebody where I'm looking out for their best interests rather than simply what they can do for me? Uh, Later, Jonathan would say to David, whatever you say, I will do for you. And I think that's a sign of friendship. You know, you can hardly impose on an intimate friend because they want to serve each other. Such true friends are, are wonderful to have. And when verse 1 speaks of Jonathan's soul being knit to David's, very strong word, their, their souls are tied together. They're like chained together. Scripture says a, a man who has friends must show himself friendly. In other words, he needs to be doing things that will build that friendship. And then it goes on and says, and there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. They're stuck together. Uh, Jonathan and David were such friends. They were stuck together through trials and tribulations. Uh, Their their friendship bridged a huge chasm economically, socially. Uh, Their friendship helped them to stick together uh, even when Jonathan's dad started slandering David. Stuck together even when it was dangerous to do so because Jonathan almost died. His dad you know, almost killed Jonathan when he was uh, speaking up uh, for Jonathan. And uh, he was uh, sacrificing in many ways for, for David. And what I want to point out is this was mutual. Mutual. They honored each other, spoke well of each other to others, sacrificed for each other, interceded for each other, sought to promote the welfare of each other, were brokenhearted when they were separated from each other. Okay, those are ways of showing yourself friendly. Honor, building up, defending each other, communicating at a heart level, sacrificing, promoting the welfare of each other, praying for each other. So God knew David was going to be facing some tough times And he knew that he needed a friend to take him through those tough times. And God knows how to bring a friend into your life at just the right time. Just the right time. An intimate friend is a very rare thing. Uh, Most people only have one, maybe two uh, such bosom friends in their lifetime. Some people have not had any. Uh, Jesus only had one bosom friend. It was the Apostle John. Now, he was close to Peter and uh, James as well. Uh, But there's something different about a bosom friend. And if God has blessed you with a bosom friend, do not take that for granted. What you need to do is show, show yourself friendly. You need to invest in that friendship and stir it up. But any true friend, whether it's a bosom friend like the Apostle John or a very, very close friend like Peter and James or just regular friends like Mary and Martha and Lazarus and the other apostles... You need to invest in your friendships uh, and uh, value them. Now, I say that this true friendship happened as the aftermath of David's success because it was only as his faith was evidenced in this battle and his true heart was evidenced in the speech that he gave that Jonathan was able to see David really is a kindred spirit with him. It uh, it, It was manifested. Until your heart is exposed you're not going to be able to make faithful friends. You'll be able to make shallow friends, but not faithful friends. The kind of heart you have is the kind of heart you're going to attract in friendships. This is one of the reasons why Saul was just surrounded by users. They were friends, but they were user friends. That kind of friend can smell your user heart a mile away. And so don't expect to have faithful, godly friends unless you are passionate for godliness yourself. Okay, like is going to attract uh, like. And uh, David was willing to die for God in his fight with Goliath. Jonathan, uh, in chapter 14, amazing, he was willing to die for the glory of God in that battle against the, the garrison of the, uh, the Philistines. And so they were demonstrating uh, that they had the kind of heart that would eventually, once they connected, be immediately um, uh, linked together or tied together. Okay, there's a third thing that happened in the aftermath of David's success. He found that others benefited from his leadership and respected him. And that's a good thing. Uh, they weren't necessarily friends, but uh, they definitely respected him and they benefited from his leadership. So take a look at verse 5. So David went out wherever Saul sent him and behaved wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. even though uh, Saul is going to turn on David later on in this chapter, because people could see David has a a faithful heart, he's got a servant's heart, they had a respect for him even when Saul was slandering him. And we see the same thing uh, in uh, Christianity today. There are uh, church leaders who are out there who have been absolutely trashed by the souls of this world. And by the way, the souls of professing believers... They're not just the world. You can handle that. It's when professing believers gang up on you that it really hurts. But these guys' reputations and their ministries have been attacked, and yet because they have shown so many years of faithfulness and a servant's heart and godliness, they still continue to have an influence in the lives of other people. And it's more than just uh, respect here. David gained more and more leadership opportunities as he proved himself as well, and you can see that in verse 5. Proverbs 22, 9 says, Do you see a man who excels in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before unknown men. What he's saying there is if you're faithful, success will breed success. God will continue to bless. When you pour your all into your spiritual battles, God will bless you with success. In fact, it will be a compounded growth over time. A third thing that I see in verse 5 is that when we're walking where God wants us to walk, Others will always benefit. In fact, that's the whole purpose that God gave you talents and that God gave you gifts is He gave them so that you could serve others. He didn't give them so you could selfishly use them for your own advancement. Let me give you a few scriptures. 1 Corinthians fourteen twelve says that God gave gifts, quote, "...for the edification or the building up of the church." Ephesians 4.12, he said he gave gifts for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. First Peter 4.10 says, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. When God has given you talents, he's given you gifts, and you just say, I don't care about others. I'm going to use these gifts for my own advancement. You're completely short-circuiting the whole purpose for the gifts and talents that God had given. David used his gifts and talents for God's glory and for the benefit of God's people, and that's one of the reasons why he just kept having success after success after success. God was blessing him because he had a steward's heart. If you want to be blessed with more finances, God says, be a faithful steward of the little finances that you have. If you want God to bless you with greater giftings, greater talents, be faithful and ministering with the talents that you already have. Now, here's point four. You can almost always count on being tested when you have success. And in this case, the testing came because people were inappropriately idolizing him. Look at chapter 18 and verses 6 through 7. Now it had happened as they were coming home when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistine, that the women had come out of all of the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy, and with musical instruments. So the women sang as they danced and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. This is an example of hero worship. These women didn't even know David before this day, but as news of his uh, slaying of Goliath comes out, his valor, uh, the real David with all of his foibles gets completely lost in the rhetoric of hero worship or celebrity worship. David had not killed 10,000 people that day, okay? It's just ridiculous what they are saying. You know a person has become an idol When you find people who don't even know him, singing his praises or weeping over him. Uh, When Michael Jackson uh, died, someone said, people have been weeping hysterically and publicly, professing undying love for a man they never knew. That, dear readers, is idolatry, not compassion. And I agree. There is a huge difference between holy admiration, which the Bible commands us to have, and... Hero worship, they're they're quite different things. Holy admiration is honoring people for the things that God honors in their lives and desiring to be just as faithful to God as they were. Uh, Holy admiration is God-centered and it realizes that God's strength is made perfect in what? In weakness, okay? It's recognizing there is weakness there. The Bible never engages in hero worship. It points out that there's defects, but it also praises the the ways in which these people have been vehicles of God's grace. It acknowledges both. When I read the missionary biographies of William Carey, Don Richardson, Standale, or other missionary uh, quote-unquote greats, I had no illusion about their weaknesses. In fact, there are some things about William Carey and David Livingston I totally disagree with, uh, especially the way in which they handled their families. Uh, There is some theology and a lot of character of Stan Dale that I disagree with, and especially the lack of nurture for his wife. I just don't think that he treated his wife uh, very well. But I admire every one of those men because they were weak vessels totally sold out to the Lord Jesus. They were living by faith. They, wanted, they were willing to die for Christ. And because they were totally sold out to God, God used these weak vessels to completely transform uh, cultures. And so when I read those books, it brought tears to my eyes because those books were eliciting a deep desire within me to be as sold out as they were. Lord, I want my life to be laid down for you. Now, that's an appropriate kind of an admiration. Hero worship is quite different. Hero worship does not focus upon God. It focuses upon how wonderful, how strong, how brilliant, you know, how awesome this person is. It goes beyond praise. Paul praises all the time. You look through his epistles, he's filled with honest praise of what is good. It doesn't overlook the the, the, the defects, but it's acknowledging what God has done in their lives. But hero worship almost always tends to exaggerate the good that is in a person becomes blind to the short fallings. for these women to be saying and just gushing over david i could just imagine you know just like in these rock concerts they're just gushing over david what a what a wonderful handsome guy you know but for them to say he's 10 times better than saul is just not fair and to say he's slain his 10 thousands is not true okay it's giving an inflated picture of who david is now let me tell you something here's the application there was a lot of idolatrous celebrity worship going on in the church of Jesus Christ. And I'm not just talking about people who, who gush over movie stars or over Christian you know, rock singers or uh, Oprah or politicians who can do no wrong and you're going to defend them no matter what you know, that you see in their life. I'm talking about pastors who have been inundated with celebrity worship. It's just an amazing thing. They've just been barraged with it. People will defend every word and every action of these pastors and they're blind to the fact that every man, woman, and child has defects that need to be covered with the blood of Jesus Christ and to engage in hero worship is an idolatrous sin. Idolatry is as a sin of witchcraft, Scripture says. So here's a question you need to ask yourself. Have I sinfully been engaged in In idolatrous hero worship celebrity worship of anybody that is out there if the Spirit convicts you of that repent of it and say Lord I want to deal with that I want to put it under the blood I want to put it behind me now actually that hero worship will be the undoing of those celebrities as well if they believe what other people are telling about them very easy to happen Proverbs 27 verse 21 says man is tested by the praise He receives. How is he tested? (laughs) When you receive praise, it'll show what's in your heart. If your heart is passionate for God, you're going to be deflecting praise to God in some way like like David did in Psalm 144. But um, if you have pride in your heart that has not been crucified, just let alone the exaggerated praise, even legitimate praise can destroy you. So when I say it can destroy you, I don't mean that you cannot continue to be a success. Saul continued to be a success for many, many years after he stopped depending upon the grace of God. Remember back in chapter 16, uh, the Spirit of God had departed from him, chapter 16, verse 14, and yet he continued to have success in battle after battle. He continues to be a celebrity. And so there's nothing that a Mark Driscoll, a John Piper, a Billy Graham, or others can do about the hero worship that is poured out upon them, uh, except that they can try to deflect that praise in some way like David did in Psalm 144. But how they respond to hero worship will either destroy their walk with God or will strengthen their walk with God. Saul, how did he respond? In the past, he responded to hero worship with pride. It just made him feel so good about himself. And here, now that somebody else is being praised more highly than he was being praised, it makes him jealous. And we'll look at his jealousy in just a moment. But how did David keep from pride? Well, I've already hinted at it in Psalm 144. I think he kept repeating that to himself. Don't believe that. Don't believe that. Here is what you ought to believe. I could not do this without God's help. He alone is my fortress and my strong tower. Uh, He doesn't deny that he was involved in that psalm. He doesn't deny that he strove hard or that he had skill. But what he's affirming is only God could make those skills come into success. In verses 3 through 4, he goes on to say, Lord, what is man that you take knowledge of him? Or the son of man that you are mindful of him? Man is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. He's saying, I'm nothing apart from your grace, Lord. And I'm going to keep reminding myself of that fact. So when people pat you on the back after you've done some heroic action, made some big sacrifices or whatever, and they're praising you in exaggerated ways, it's sometimes hard to know, how in the world do I handle something like this? And um, I want to encourage you to say thank you an honest thank you for the legitimate parts of the praise and also include some uh, recognition to the lord do not have false humility of saying oh it was nothing it was nothing because if you really sacrificed yourself it is something okay you've obeyed god's word and you can't say it's nothing you can say thank you and maybe add to that um thank you, I'm glad that God helped me make the sacrifices that were needed. Or thank you, I'm glad that God gave me success today, but I would praise Him even if I did poorly, even if I was not a success. Now, if they have exaggerated praise, oh... You know, you have slain your 10,000s. You might be able to deflect that part of the praise, you know, with a little bit of humor and say, well, I don't think I'm quite up to 10,000s today, but uh, I'm thankful for what God did enable me to have. But you don't have to have a false humility on the one side or enter into pride on the other. But we do need to uh, analyze, how do I handle false uh, praise? Okay, the last thing that happened in the aftermath of success was the jealousy of Saul. And uh, in verses eight through nine, we see that he didn't take too kindly to someone receiving more praise than he did. Then Saul was very angry and the saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed to David 10,000s. And to me, they have ascribed only thousands. Now, what more can we, he, can he have, but the kingdom? So Saul eyed David from that day forward. Now, it's really ridiculous when you think about it because the praise for Saul was exaggerated as well. But he wants it to be even more exaggerated. And so the way the text is written, it's so clear that the anger flowed from his pride, right? So pride led to anger. Anger led to displeasure within his heart against David. The word displeased in the Hebrew there means to look disparagingly or disapprovingly upon something. Now, there wasn't anything David had done wrong. But because of this attitude within the heart, nothing David did could be right in the eyes of Saul. And then verse 9 says that Saul eyed David. Now, the Hebrew word can have two different meanings. Uh, One translation has kept a jealous eye on David, but the other meaning, it it can have the meaning of to trespass against. And so the New American Standard uh, Commentary Excuse me, the New American commentary says that it's probably a double entendre here that he kept a jealous eye on David for the purpose of transgressing against him, for the purpose of sinning. Jealousy will always do that. This is why you cannot tolerate jealousy within your heart. It will always end up in sinning against somebody. Jealousy is a destructive force. If it can't have what it's jealous of, it will seek to destroy uh, what it is jealous of. So if you are one of those jealous Saul's, remember Saul is a professing believer. If you're a jealous Saul, there's two lessons I would like you to learn. And the first lesson is that jealousy comes out of a defective heart you're never going to be able to conquer your jealousy by just saying, I'm going to stop being jealous. I'm going to stop being jealous. No, you've got to go after the root issues that are inside of the heart. And really, that's true of any sin. It's sort of like you see ants in your in your dining room or you're in your in your kitchen, and you say, okay, I'm going to kill all of the ants that I see. And you're killing these ants. But if you don't poison the nest, that queen is going to be Producing ants much more quickly than you can kill them off. Well in the same way if all we're doing is dealing with the outward behavior We're not going after the heart. We're not poisoning the queen and we're never going to be able to conquer That jealousy. This is really true of any sin. I'll just give you one example and we'll move on but if you've got a child who's got a habit of lying You can't just keep harping on you got to stop lying. You got to stop lying. No, you got to find out what is motivating this lying you know, if it, is it pride? Is it laziness? You've got to go after the queen, ant and poison her within. And once you destroy the motivations, then you can deal with the lying. The second lesson I would like to give to the souls in our midst is that without the presence of the Spirit in your life, you're going to go faster and faster in a downward slide into sin. Now, initially, that slide into sin might be very, very slow, and you feel secure and safe, but before long, it accelerates to the point where you can't come back, and so one of the things you need to do is to cling to the Spirit every day, realize, but for the grace of God, I'm going to go exactly where Saul went. This is what David said, you know, when he sinned, he said, oh, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. He was desperate for God to be in his life because he knew apart from the Spirit, he couldn't go anywhere. We need to have that same desperation. Now, if you're a David, there's one application I want to leave with you from the fifth point. Make sure that you are not polluted by the bitterness and the jealousy of your foes. And this is so easy to happen to us. It, it just spreads. Jealousy, bitterness, those things, they just spread. Hebrews eleven fifteen says... Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. So easy to become defiled by bitterness if you don't watch out. And I'm not talking about your own bitterness. I'm talking about somebody else's bitterness. After a while, you start getting bitter. You take that on yourself. And so how did David avoid that? Well... He prayed for Saul. He loved Saul. He sought to promote Saul. He sought to serve Saul. He overcame evil with good. When Saul cursed him, he blessed Saul. Okay, this is Romans twelve nine through the end of the chapter. You can use those as practices when people have been evil against you. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, let me conclude by encouraging you to do in the spiritual realm what Coach Bowman I told Michael Phelps that he needed to do in the swimming pool. In order to keep winning medals after his first Olympics, he had to let that first Olympics go. And he had to let the naysayers go. And he had to let... All of the, 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 the celebrity worshipers go behind him and he needed to start pressing forward and having his vision for what he uh, would do next. He had to go back to the basics, train harder and seek to keep improving. And brothers and sisters, if you have that attitude in the spiritual realm, If you keep going back to the basics, you keep training, you keep pressing toward the upward call that you have in Christ Jesus, there is no reason why God will not say when you get to heaven, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And there's no reason why you cannot have success after success in life. And uh, our successes don't always look like the world. Sure didn't look like David was being successful. We know from hindsight he was. It seemed like he was being defeated. No, 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 no. God was preparing him. He was success after success in his life. And so you'll be able to receive these spiritual medals from the Lord in life. He says, well done, even now. But in your spiritual Olympics, you're either going forward or you're going backward. And the Olympics, if they don't keep training, other people are going to beat them, aren't they? And that's true in our lives as well. Here is my concluding scripture. Philippians 3. 13 through 14 Paul said brethren I do not count myself to have apprehended but one thing I do forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus and it's my prayer that that would be your goal in life as well amen let's pray father thank you for your word And I pray that you would take the feebleness and the weakness of this preaching, that you would cause us to grow through that word that is quickened to our hearts by your Spirit. May we be true friends uh, to those uh, who are around us, not false friends who are users, but friends like David and Jonathan. And I pray, Father, that you would bless this, your people, that you would help us to not be overcome by evil, but to overcome evil with good. Help us, Father, to go back to the basics every single day of our lives to never forget that we need your grace day by day. Uh, And help us to keep pressing toward that upward goal in Christ Jesus. We love you and we bless you. In Christ's name, amen.